Thank you for downloading the Engineering Commons. In this episode, we discuss our summer activities, the messiness of engineering projects, and the seasonal ups and downs of engineering duties. The episode you're about to listen to was originally recorded in early October. Needless to say, there have been a few delays in getting it published. Nonetheless, we appreciate your patience and hope you enjoy this episode of the Engineering Commons. The Engineering Commons explores challenges encountered by engineers, regardless of field or industry. Join Adam, Brian, Carmen, and Jeff as they discuss issues of interest to today's engineering professional. This is episode 137, Late Summer, December 4th, 2017. So, Carmen, what have you been up to recently? What haven't I been up to, Jeff? A little of everything, it seems. Huh, okay. Like? Uh, geez, where, where to begin? I've been to about a million weddings, been on a pretty fun family vacation to Utah. I've mm-hmm. been to Israel, and uh, yeah, all over the place. No kidding. Yeah. I assume the weddings were for uh, joining with, with family or friends. Yeah, yeah. I had some friends get married in Barbados. I had friend, my cousin get married, and then one of my good friends from high school, too. Okay. And the, the vacation, that must have been spending time with family? Yes, that was a family trip. We did uh, some hiking in Bryce Canyon and Zion National Park, both awesome places I can highly recommend. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And and the trip to Israel, with this, was that uh, uh, personal travel or was that for business? Ah, it was work-related. I had to go visit the field office out there and see a bunch of customers. It was a mix of playing marketing guy and uh, technical presentations. Hmm. So, okay. Oh, and I also did a week at Virginia Tech, too, doing some training there as well. Oh, that's right. I think in the last episode, you'd mentioned going to the uh, uh, the seminar, the, the – Yeah, the CEPAS Conference, there, the yeah. wor- workshop there. Yep. So, yeah, I've been all over the damn place, but good summer overall. And so, and so is your fall going to be a little calmer than your summer's been? Oh, yeah. No, I got nothing till Christmas now, basically. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not that far away, really. No, but it's, you know, two uh, – I guess I got back – couple like two weeks ago from all that stuff so it's been yeah i'll have about two three months to just kind of relax no going to a nice uh steakhouse for thanksgiving i'm not even cooking wow that's not that sounds good yeah i'm not complaining (laughs) (laughs) cool and and so now uh, following all this travel at at one point you were still kind of waiting on uh instrumentation to show up in your office so you could get things done is all that derived and you're all ready to go. Oh yeah, that came that came a long time ago. Okay. Now I've been, uh, you know, nose at the grindstone trying to crank out some some designs. Excellent. And so, exactly how far have you gotten? I kn- I know you've not gone over to the dark side, but you've gotten close. You've somehow been talking to marketing people. Oh, my boss is a marketing guy. I think we've discussed that maybe. So, yeah. So, so are, are, are you worried? Do you feel like you're going to be sucked into the vortex? No, or do you feel- never, ever, ever. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I'm having a blast and it's good to learn, you know, how, how marketing approaches a problem and what their expectations are for a project. Um, mm-hmm. not saying it's been a waste of time. I'm having a good time and learning a lot, but definitely we'll get more technical someday. 
So marketing approaches problems, not just creates them? Yeah, yeah, you'd be surprised. Hmm, that's not the story I hear most of the time, but okay. <laughs> no, no, no. They they have good intentions, they just go astray. <laughs> um, no. So yeah, it's it was weird being being salesmen walking into a, a customer's office and trying to feel out what they need and what their timetables mm-hmm. are and all sorts of stuff like that. But thankfully they stuck to the area I knew well, which was uh, multi-phase power instead of the other products I sort of cover and do reference designs for. I'm still coming up to speed on those because they're pretty new for me. But I was—I think I knocked the trip mm-hmm. out of the park. It was pretty successful. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. And Israel's great. If you guys ever get a chance to go, I definitely recommend it. The food okay. the food is out of this world. I had some very good meals there. Mm. Excellent. Yeah, I, I could. I wish I could give you names, but uh, they were all in Hebrew, so I don't know what the hell they were. <laughs> I just ate where I was told. The only one I can definitely recommend is in uh, Jaffa, the old part of the city, and uh, it's called Old Man in the Sea. It's right on the Mediterranean. And it was phenomenal. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. So I've been all over the place. How about you, Jeff? How's your second year of teaching going? Are you just coasting now already? I only wish. The second year being at the university, I'm sort of more integrated into the flow of things. And so as a result, more things land on my desk. Well, of course. It, you know, yeah. You have all this free time now that you know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> so the, you know, more administrative type things, you know, there's, there's a problem with the robot kits, you know, somebody has to fix it or, or we need to set, you know, there's a problem with uh, getting labs graded or, you know, whatever it is, all of a sudden things that other people used to handle i've i've been asked to handle and so uh the time just flows by uh, really quickly and so my wife taught uh elementary school she taught mostly first second and third grade for most of her teaching career she's she's recently retired but um you know when she was teaching basically it was monday through friday she was getting up at 5 or 515 uh heading off to school she was there by 7:30 she was there Often until five thirty, six thirty, in the evening, we'd come home. She'd come home, would fix dinner, have dinner. She'd go uh, to her office. She'd work on getting lesson plans and and papers graded and getting things done until eleven o'clock. Go to bed and start the cycle over. Um, and then on Saturdays, we'd worry about getting stuff done around the house. And on Sundays, she was oftentimes uh, most of the afternoon, she was back into school trying to get prepared for the next week. You know, it was just an unrelenting. You got to get stuff prep job. So after years of seeing this, you decided you wanted to be a teacher? Yeah, she's uh, she's mentioned that to me a time or two. <laughs> yeah, but it's easier uh, doing college because you can just say this is left as an exercise for homework. She's got to spell it all out for the younger kids. Well, th- that's true. But uh, the I, I suppose the other problem is that the, the college students can express themselves a little more uh, directly uh, than the second graders can. And the second graders normally don't get to write instructor reviews at the end of the semester. You know, the same sort of thing where it's it's uh, even though I'm only teaching usually, you know, several days a week, uh, getting the homework ready, getting the homework graded, making sure that the exams are ready, making sure the labs are ready, you know, meeting with everybody. It's just a full-time job making sure that all that happens as well as a lot of the things that you don't think about. Uh, you know, students want to come in and talk about 
you know, their grades or they want to talk about, they want to, they want to go to grad school. And so they want to talk to you about grad school or they want a recommendation letter uh, or they just want to talk about an engineering career. And I'm happy to do that. Uh, it just, these things, you know, take up a little time. So mm-hmm. you should start referring everyone to our podcast episodes and boost our numbers. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> well, yeah, I talked about grad school, just uh, episode 128 or whatever the hell it was. If I was smart, I would do that. But uh, so far, I haven't. So uh, what I've discovered in, in year two is that it, it's really tough to to uh, find time to get stuff done. I mean, there's a lot of stuff here around the house that I wish I had uh, that I'd like to get done, but just uh, just can't seem to dig up the time for. So Yeah, I've been scratching off stuff slowly on my list of things to do around the house now that I'm finally home. It adds up quick. My poor yard looks like hell. <laughs> but I've yeah. I've beaten some of it back into submission. Right. Right. Well, I I'm uh, I've got neighbors on either side who are very particular about their lawn and uh me not so much and and so uh I feel bad for them because they have lawns that are islands of of emerald green uh <laughs> and mine is more kind of like a weed patch, so yeah, whatever. It has character. <laughs> Just say you're xenoscaping or whatever that's called. I think it's xenoscaping. Now I got to Google it to make sure I got the right term. Oh, Xeriscape, not Xenoscape. <laughs> X-E-R-I scape, Xeriscape. Okay. Landscaping in a style which requires little to no irrigation, uh, and you use kind of local plants. Uh, it's mostly done in arid regions. Do weeds count as local plants? Yeah. You didn't Depending. plant them. Oh. They grew naturally. It's organic. <laughs> That's not exactly how that works, but yeah. That's exactly how it works. Because there's native weeds and there's non-native weeds. Yeah, well, I didn't plant them. Therefore, it's native. <laughs> I didn't bring them over on a ship or a plane or in a dog fur. Well, the, as the uh, the non-natives, right, the uh, the insects that come over that play havoc with, with the landscaping. So uh, we have, uh, in my backyard, we have several ash trees that we're now having to treat every other year because of the ash borer. Oof. Uh, that's oh, come in from yeah. overseas, and uh, now I I planted a uh, a tulip plop, poplar in the front yard, uh, which is uh, the state tree uh, of Indiana where I live, and that is now being attacked by some sort of other boar that's been uh, come into the country. Uh, and so I'm told that I can treat the tree. It's you know we we stuck it in ten years ago. It wasn't that tall. Now it's it's taller than the house. Uh, but we're told it only has so many years before it's going to have to be taken down because of it's being attacked by this boar. So yes, I lost. I'm it. not sure. Go ahead. I was saying one of my trees got a fungus this summer, and I hope I sprayed it in time, but I wasn't home. So we'll see what happens next year. <laughs> and I'll say, you know, it, it's a poplar in many areas that's considered a weed. It, it was a it was a fast growing tree, which was the object to get something. We we had a big tree in the front yard previously, and it passed uh, on. Uh, we had to chop it down, and yeah, no, it, it happens. You know, there's other areas. You know, I even have even have areas of my lawn where I'd consider a maple a weed, but <laughs> <laughs> like the ones growing out of the side of buildings, th- those are weeds. <laughs> yeah, the ones that grow up through cracks in the highway. Yeah, yeah. Usually not, you know, the highway. There's usually enough traffic to kill them, but yeah. (laughs) 
So one comedian, it was a long time ago. I think it was like right around when I graduated high school. I just remember part of his bit, you know, he's making fun of palm trees. He's like, you just see him waving around. They're always torn up in hurricanes. He's like, those aren't real trees. He's like, real trees that would grow up out of the side of the highway. He's like, those things survived on pebbles and cigarette butts. He's like, you can't take those <laughs> trees down. They come out in the shape of a middle finger. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I can't remember who that was, but he was pretty funny, and that always stuck with me. Right. Well, we now we do have in Indiana. There is a courthouse that has a uh, tree growing in the top of it. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. So uh, the the town of Greensburg, Indiana, is known as the Tree City for the over a dozen trees that have been growing out of the roof of the Decatur County Courthouse ever since 1870. They are believed to have sprouted from seeds in bird droppings. Interesting. So, kind of an unusual place to grow a tree out of the top of the county courthouse. Yeah, you'd think that they would uh, get that cut, get that taken down to prevent the roots from, you know, destroying the 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 stonework there. Mm-hmm. That's weird. Whatever. Well, I, I imagine that some people go travel to see the tree, and so they may consider it a. Uh, an attraction rather than a, uh, a nuisance. Yeah. Well, to each their own, I guess I said until, <laughs> I, I, until the, the stones start falling down and hitting people or something. Right. Um, yeah, I guess it's been there a while though. So yeah, since 1870, that's a while. Yeah. Slightly, slightly. So I guess that leaves you, Adam. We gave our quick updates for the summer. What have, uh, the hell have you been up to? well, Running ragged now that somehow more money was found at work. Oh, jeez. <laughs> That's always, it, it's always a fun, fun time. Do you have to spend it or you lose it next year? That's well, not exactly how that works, but sort of. Um, You, you, you know, and that, that's, a, in my opinion, a really bad way to phrase that. You know, the, the, the legislature decides the amount of money that we're appropriated because they feel that's the right amount of money to spend on the services we provide. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, that's the right amount of road work to do. So it's not just spend it or you lose it. It's we've been directed to do this much work or this mm-hmm. many dollars worth of work. So right. we do that many dollars worth of work. Um, so, but yeah, there was a lot of, oh, here's some money. Now we're going to do all these things and all the stuff you already did. Yeah, no, we're not doing that anymore. Now redo it. Um, you've never had projects that get re-scoped, you know, shortly before the, the end of the project, right? I had a project get re-scoped like today. They have, they have the amount of time I have to to have the circuit respond and double the amount of current I have to deal with. I was like, really? When did this happen? That was not my original design. Yeah. You just make it happen. Other than that, been building a deck. Sweet. Today's first day I've been able to use my back door. With uh, less than a about an eight foot step, um, in a <laughs> an month, eight foot step. <laughs> well, eight, eight foot laterally. It's it's about two feet down, but it would be th- be through uh, through framing members. Yeah, yeah it, it would have been not real functional. Maybe three feet down. I take it this was not yet meeting code. Well, it's not. A, it's not complete. <laughs> I know. <laughs> My point. <laughs> it, it'll meet code. Uh, it just. Not eventually. Yeah, yeah. Once the decking's all in place. Um, Excellent. That just, you know, it takes time. <laughs> right. Now, I, I I hate to mention this, but 
winter, I think, is coming on soon, uh, especially up there in the great north. Uh, will this be done before the snow flies? It better be. Okay. <laughs> well, obviously, you have a plan. Yeah, I figure a couple more weekends and I'm done. Yeah. I, I could be done with laying the decking by the end of the weekend or the end of the week. Excellent. If it, if it steps, stops raining one of these days. Right. So one of the things that I gather here from our, our discussions are that trying to plan stuff and get stuff done is, is kind of difficult to fit in and, uh, you know, a little messy, I guess is the word. So do you find your projects at work to be equally as messy or do things seem to flow along nicely once you've got them laid out? Um, they're probably worse at work than at home. <laughs> okay. Is that just because there's only one of you to coordinate with at home and there's a, there's many at work? That's a, a large portion of it. And the, the sheer complexity of the projects at work is um, much, much greater than the complexity of the projects at home. Mm-hmm. A deck's a pretty simple project. Um, paving the interstate is not. <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, just putter around and, you know, eventually stuff gets paved. Yeah, no. I mean, it looks like that, but that means we're doing a very good job. If it looks like it just happens. Yeah. All of our work has been invisible. I don't know. I feel like it takes way too long to build some roads, damn it. (laughs) There's There's the same section of highway. They've, like, barely moved the cones year after year. It's like, just why are we not? Paying people to work around the clock so we don't always have to go down to one lane and have cones for 10 miles. Um, reasons? Yeah, I no, love reasons. Uh, there, <laughs> um, Why can't we pave more than like two or three miles at a time, for Christ's sakes? You tore it all up. It's a highway. It's not like you got to put in sewer lines underneath it. Um, you'd be surprised. It goes through the middle of nowhere. You'd be surprised. I mean, it may not be sanitary sewer, but there's a uh, um, storm sewer. You got to deal with water, rainwater. Mm-hmm. Um, Throw it in the woods. You know, <laughs> I don't know what you're. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that works. Maybe sort of ish. That's what I'm going to do with it. If I had my way. Is it your woods? I pay taxes. Sure. Is it a wetland? I don't know. You're asking too many questions now, man. I just want the road done faster. <laughs> oh, I, I think you've put down this pre-manufactured solar panels that uh, the solar roadways will go much quicker. You're right. You're right. That would go way faster. Yeah. This is North Carolina. We don't have to worry about snow and ice, save for like three days out of the year when everything's closed anyways. Way faster and cheaper and easier. Yeah. When it, when it snows and ices, we close anyway. So what do I care if the roads are solar or not? Yeah. So one of the reasons I asked is that in the, uh, the sophomore design course that I'm teaching this semester, we're, we're having the students do a, you know, a new design project. And so there's no fixed answer. You know, it's not like thermodynamics where you calculate a certain heat flow um, or I guess a circuit course where you figure out, you know, how much current is flowing through a resistor. You're trying to design something new. You're trying to find a customer. You're trying to find a need that the customer has. You're trying to meet that need. And it, it seems uh, – I, I sense the students are somewhat frustrated by the fact that it's kind of a messy process, which is why I use the word messy. And so uh, I wondered for both of you, when you got into engineering, were you surprised by how messy 
engineering was and and how do you kind of deal with that on a day-to-day basis? Mm, I think the the key is to just get something in writing from whoever gave you the project on what their general target is. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. with this project here, I'm doing a a hold-up circuit, you know, so a, a chip can... You know, if there's a brownout condition, a chip can write everything it needs to to uh, its memory, so you can pick it back up after power is restored and see what the hell happened. And they've like, oh, you got to hold up the time for you know five milliseconds, but they've had the voltage window I have to deal with and like doubled the current. Mm-hmm. Um, so now that I have that in writing, I can say, well, you know, we it's taking a little longer to get this done because you know the the scope of the project right. changed. <laughs> And how much of the time is spent actually determining that these are the specs and how much of the time is spent trying to communicate with one another the importance of the spec? You know, we can do this or we can't do this or these are the trade-offs or these are the relative trade-offs. You know, just getting everybody to understand what it is they're buying into. Um, In this case, it was more getting the specs. And then, you know, the other chunk of it is – you know, doing the testing, tinkering with the circuit. But mm-hmm. um, for certain projects, like with efficiency measurements, then you really have to educate and talk about the trade-offs on where you sense things. Uh, I don't really do, like, it's high power, but it's it's low low voltage, high current. Uh, mm-hmm. I just did a project for a new uh, network or new ASIC for uh, an application and they're running at 200 amps, give or take, and it's only 0.4 volts. So if you can Hmm. imagine that voltage drop is very, very important. And, um, you know, where you sense the input and output voltages to measure efficiency makes a big difference. Right. And, you know, you got to make sure they're doing it right. So there it's a lot of emails back and forth saying this is where you want to sense and why, because you're evaluating a bunch of different solutions and all they all have different board layouts. So you want right. to take the PCB out of it versus when you're actually doing your board testing, this is where you'd want to measure it because you do care about that stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a whole process. It depends on the, the project. But, yeah, usually getting the specs is is always a big step. And then depending on the complexity, taking the actual measurements, doing the quote unquote real engineering work is, you know, somewhere in the middle there. And then the trade-offs are just presenting the results. is kind of sometimes a big deal. Sometimes it's just, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Well, when, when I was doing special machinery or custom machinery, you would go in and have some discussion about, well, this is the activity that needs to be done. And so the, the customer would tell me, okay, this is what needs to be done. And then sometimes they would have an idea about how they wanted it done. Many times they would, but sometimes they didn't. They'd say, well, how do you think you sh- we should do it? And I'd come back to them with a few proposals and we'd try to iron this out. But it was really, it was stressful for me because any small detail that got left out that could keep the thing from working in the end, right? In the end, nobody cared about the specs. What they cared about is the machine, does the machine do what it's supposed to do? Does it fit in our plant? Does it run safely? You know, it was risky to make any assumptions. And so asking questions about, you know, what is the, you know, what is the diameter of the part that we're treating and and how many per hour and what is the defect rate and how are we going to measure defects? And, you know, what's the travel and, you know, all those little details uh, had to be ironed out. And I found that if I was dealing with other engineers, usually they understood the reason for all my questions. But if I was dealing with non-engineers, they would often get very annoyed at me for 
trying to be so specific about, you know, what this thing had to do. And, they, you know, they just wanted me to go away and, and fix it, uh, make, make the problem go away. But I would keep coming back and it's like, okay, in, on your airlines, right? What is, what is the range of air pressures you get? You know, does it ever drop? You know, on your on your electrical system, you know, what do you have any yeah. brownouts? Where to, they're not subject matter experts; it, they don't even think of those sort of things. It, yeah, their and, expertise and, is all elsewhere. I've dealt with that non mm-hmm. non power people. Um, you know, right. they might know a ton about board layout or you know signal integrity or something, but they have a, a power problem, and right, they'll they'll ask a question like, "Can can't you just tell me? Like, can your regulator do this?" Beck, well. What you're asking is like more of a matter of how much board space and room for output capacitors do you have? Like, yeah, sure, we can meet whatever spec you want, but can you handle that? Yeah. And sometimes the small things like they would ignore all those things, but very clearly written out in the in the specification or the contract that they wanted me to sign were the the paint colors. Because, you know, they would paint all their machinery in the, sh- in the plant had to be the same color. And if it came in a shade off, they would sit, you know, they would reject the machine and I'd have to go get it repainted. So that's hilarious. So anyway, that that entire process of trying to sort out, you know, what the machine was going to do and how it was going to do it, there was no direct, ca- you know, at that point I could make some some back of the envelope calculations, uh, but I couldn't get deep into the design because we didn't, you know, we didn't know exactly what the design was and and how it was going to work out. So that I guess the the messy part that I was talking about is those iterations where. You start at a high level and you have an approach, but as you dig down into it, you discover things that you didn't know, hence the rule of pi to account for all the extra time of figuring that out. And then you had to go back and make sure everybody was up to speed on the decisions as you went along. Again, because if you're selling something to one person, right, you're you're selling a good to one person, that's a, that's a simple sale. Uh, we consider a complex sale if you're selling to you know multiple people, and oftentimes you had to keep... Uh, the plant manager and the maintenance manager and the, you know, the operator on the floor and the engineer in the plant. And you had to keep many, many people happy at the same time. And and there was a lot of time spent trying to bring everybody up to speed, make sure they all agreed on, on what it was you were going to do. Yeah. Yeah. I run into similar things when I start a new a new design for a processor, trying to power it. You know, mm-hmm. if you're doing like a big name, like an Intel processor or, you know, some of the other big big vendors, you can get very good specs. But if it's like a, a less well-known or more niche processor, like trying to figure out what the hell it needs for power, mm-hmm. you, you can't find that sort of thing. They don't document it very well themselves. And you're trying to get them on board with whoever may be buying the processor with your boss and all four of us, all four different parties have to come to an agreement on what the hell we're going to design. And mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, oh, have you spun the board for that yet? Well, no, because we wanted to emphasize solution size, and I don't know what the hell I'm designing to. <laughs> yeah. It's a wonderful world of communicating. Yeah, I remember Dr. Trevelyan, uh, when we had him on, James Trevelyan, and and he was saying that engineers spend 60% of their time communicating with others, that whether they're a junior engineer or a senior engineer, uh, that, that percentage seems to be about the same, like 60% of their time. So it's... Uh, Amazingly so, you you wouldn't in the middle of engineering school when you're trying to you know get out your homework and you've got all these exams and the equations and you would think that uh, uh, time spent writing emails can't can't possibly be that big a part of your engineering job. It's it's I think surprising to discover it is such a an important component. Oh yeah, there there becomes such an important component. There's some days I just 
if I can get away with it, I'll leave my laptop uh, sitting at my desk and then I'll just go into the lab and, you know, <laughs> tweak a design until it's time to actually document it. Right. Yeah, there's weeks, especially if I have been out of the office for a couple of days, mm-hmm. I'll spend multiple full days just dealing with email. Yeah. Thankfully, I don't have to have days like that, really, unless I'm coming back from vacation. But it's what it is, I guess. Um, When you sit in a classroom and and think of what engineering is, um, it it doesn't seem like that would be engineering responding to emails. But I said reality is more of the engineering that at least that I do is through email than drawing. I do very, very little drawing Mm -hmm. and very, very little um, calculations, especially anything complicated enough I need a calculator for. Yeah. Well, uh, Dr. Trevelyan again said that, you know, the value of engineers is they get the job done. They make things happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a lot of times in order to make things happen, that's what it takes is is coordinating the effort and and, uh, checking up on all the small details that nobody else wants to check up on, you know. Have you made sure that the thread pitch is the same on on uh, on the screws you've ordered or the bolts you've ordered and and the uh, the threads in the part? And have you made sure that you have the right amount of uh, uh, dowel pins to match the number of holes that you've you've reamed in the part? You know th- those sort of things. You know all these little details that in the end nobody cares about, but you have to ha- you have to get right in order to make your uh, your design work. Well, nobody cares about unless it was done wrong. Right. <laughs> and then everybody cares. Yeah. Yeah. And and so uh your situation may be instructive, Adam, in that when I when I was doing custom machinery, basically I was doing one of a kind, right? Everyone was new. Uh it was it was a different, which is is one of the reasons I got out of doing custom machinery because it was really tough to make money there because you never got to repeat, you know, you'd learn a lesson, but you, it was really tough to go back and, and, uh, repeat the lesson and, and make money on that. So yours is sort of, I mean, what you're doing intersections and, and, uh, traffic signals, those sort of things are similar, but they're not, you know, every intersection is different. So how does it take a great deal of coordination, uh, to make those things happen? And do you have to explain every time to, to new people, what it is you're going to do. So great deal of coordination. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I describe to, um, people, including my boss, what the way I do my job or, or what my job really is, is making sure everything gets done mm-hmm. and not act. I don't actually produce that much. I make sure that all the product gets made. Right. Um, and so it, it's coordinating between the, all the various groups and making sure that the right person's got the right information to get the right thing done. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you know, it, there's enough repeat stuff that there's kind of a language there of and a base understanding that I, I don't need to necessarily usually explain why we're doing something the way we're doing it. Okay. The people that I'm interacting with, they either are just going to accept that that's the way I want to do it or they already kind of understand the why we would do it the way we did. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, yeah, it, it, and I have the advantage of I'm generally not dealing with um, at least often 
say uneducated customers. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're dealing with uh, engineers, technicians, or contractors, all of which are in the industry and kind of get that we have reasons for doing the stuff we do. Right. Whether they agree with them or understand them all, it's generally not a, oh, well, I need to know this information because of this, because of this, because of this. I explain it once and they get it. Okay. Um, I also deal with the same um, same people all the time, so that helps too. That does help. And so while you're describing that, uh, the, the question that came to my mind, and, and I don't know if this will be this will make sense or not. If not, I'll I'll try to re-explain it. But do you manage all these details? Do you manage them, I guess, proactively by going and reviewing, or do you manage by exception? Do you have systems set up that say, well, just notify me if there's a problem, and then I'll come resolve the problem? Little of each, I, I, if I understand the question right. I mean, there, there's definitely things that I know, okay, this next thing's going to come up. I need to make sure that this is in place for this next step to happen. Right. Um, and then there's also always problems that are coming up that I, I'm chasing. Um, you know, my, my typical Monday is, well, any given Monday during the summer, I can be chasing problems. Um, mm-hmm. And it is not unlikely at all that I can spend an entire day on Monday. You know, I could go in or leave on Friday with the expectation, Monday, I'm going to do this thing. And I'll just knock this out. It's only going to take me an hour. And I won't get to it till Tuesday. Right. That That's regular. That's not uncommon at all. Sure. It, it frustrates a lot of people who are wanting that thing I was going to do that I had planned on and they'd worked w- well in advance with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it happens. And, and bottom line is, you know, it's just like when manufacturing, well, when, for me, it's when construction calls, I got to deal with that. Right. Because that's, that's a, a current active problem that's got to be dealt with now because I'm holding up a contractor or there's a safety issue in the field or something like that. That's got to be dealt with. Yeah. Um, I'd say probably 50-50 proactive or something comes up and, and I have to chase it down. Right. And is your notification of exceptions, does that come because people call you and say, hey, Adam, we, we need you out here? Or do you have some sort of trip wires built into your system that, that you get notified that there's a problem before other people recognize it? Oh, it's phone calls. Okay. But I would argue that those staff in the field are that notification system. That's okay. why they're there. Right. <laughs> Is to see the problems and, and, and let the right people know about it. Yeah. Okay. It sounds like the right way to go. I'm just always curious how people how people set up their systems and how, and how they, uh, how they do their work. Yeah, no, no. And I, I would, I would always rather not have that things come up in the field, but bottom line is sometimes, sometimes you start doing something and you start excavating and you find muck that you weren't expecting or, you know, the best laid plans. And then it, it just, it doesn't work for whatever reason. Um, drivers can't figure it out, whatever it may be. Right. Right. Um, well, and that's the, that's the beauty of what I'm doing now, right? And when I was doing uh, custom machinery, I actually had to design the machinery. We had to build the machinery. We had to get it out on the shop floor and to run it to see whether there are any errors. And so you're sort of in that same way. You have to build the intersection before you know whether whether you've, you know what problems might arise. And and uh, in my current role uh, as a uh, as an instructor, right, when, like when I write an exam or I write a, a homework problem, 
I can sit there and solve the homework problem and actually have an answer. I can, you know, I can use uh, uh, MATLAB or, or Excel or something. I can, I can simulate the problem. I can check the answer and know that it's absolutely right before I send Hopefully, I've got it right before I send it out to the students. Uh, and so uh, that makes life a little easier now. But, but in a, a regular engineering job, you just don't have that luxury. Well, yeah, the, the, there's, there's not always one right, right answer. And things come up that you didn't anticipate. There's not always one right answer. I'm shocked. Surprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've never said that before on this podcast, right? Never. Never. Maybe not even maybe not this episode. Maybe. Yeah, it had to have been at least three ago. <laughs> right. So uh how about you, Carmen? Are are you able to be notified of problems? Uh do you have some sort of system in place for that or or just somebody sends you an email or gives you a phone call and says, Hey, we need you now. Yeah, 50-50. Every now and then, you know, some, you know, last minute, like, oh, no, we need a big push to get this report or this data or whatever for a, a design in. They have to make their decision on who they're going to go with by Friday or whatever. Mm-hmm. So then I'll have to scramble and get that. And, you know, stuff always comes up or, hey, so-and-so sending a board back to be repaired. And, you know, debugged, go figure it out, and that'll throw a wrench in whatever plans you had for the week. But in general, I can usually see what problems are coming down the pike and mm-hmm. anticipate it and at least have a little notice. And so are you getting better at this uh, coordination? Is, it, is, is your role changing? Uh, so we've been doing the podcast for five years now. The podcast is five years old, but, but uh, the two of you have been uh, helping – uh, as co-host for the last four years. So is this part of your engineering skill set getting better over time? The communication aspect? Yeah. And the Oh, yeah, definitely. When we started this, I was, I don't know, two years-ish, year and a half into work. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't know shit, <laughs> to put it bluntly. <laughs> um, and that being said, I I still knew a lot more than I did when I was fresh out of school. It, you know, and five years from now, I'll look back at myself today and go, "Yeah, I didn't know shit either." <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's it's always an evolving process, and some of the stuff I've done, like going going to Israel and preaching the good word of our products and solutions to customers, was that I got to learn how to communicate even better and learn what real customers actually want instead of just dealing with them through email. Like you get so much more done with a, a face-to-face conversation. And then uh, that technical course at Virginia Tech helped really solidify my understanding of a lot so I could become a better communicator when it comes to the technical aspect of my job. Mm-hmm. Whereas before, I knew something might be true because I read it once, but I wasn't quite sure of why. And yeah. yeah, maybe I saw it on the bench, but who the hell knows? And well, now I, I know the why behind a lot more of the theory. So it, it really helped me a lot in Israel answer some technical questions and, you know, project a lot more confidence with my answers. Yeah. So one of the things that I uh, tell my students oftentimes is that, you know, they'll complain about the more difficult homeworks, right? That that aren't, you know, the middle of the, of the road type problems where in lecture will often, as we introduce a subject, we'll go through a problem that that's very vanilla, has no, uh, extra tricks or, or loops or, or anything in it. Yeah, and then the home- fixed, but one parameter or something. Yeah. And then in the homework, we'll start to throw in a little, you know, a little change here and a little change there. And it's a complaint that, well, this wasn't just like in lecture notes. 
And my, my, my uh, response oftentimes is that that's true, but we want to understand if you understand the concepts and how to apply it and engineers in practice aren't hired there, aren't normally there to solve the problems that are middle of the road because those are normally already solved. The, the issue or the edge cases uh, when something new comes up or is different, uh, you know, analyzing that situation and, and seeing if it fits into the normal the normal equations and the normal procedure, the normal process, whether that is appropriate for what's being done. Do you find that to be the case? Are you, do you spend most of your time evaluating, I guess, what we call the edge cases? Mm, not so much in this role. Uh, when I was back at Intersil, I was doing a lot more product development, mm-hmm. whereas today I'm dealing with parts that are in production. So... Like, yeah, I, I may be solving some interesting designs, and each design has something that makes it different from the others that's tricky, like this new one that I talked about earlier, the 200 amps at 0.4 volts. That's like half the voltage I normally deal at. Um, so that that that's a new challenge, and it's a, a tricky solution. But I'm not, like, you know, doing R&D-level research-type stuff uh, where I'm pushing the boundaries in some totally unknown area. Right. It's just tricky applications of known... Uh, science and engineering practices. Yeah. And, and I, I, and I didn't mean to limit it too much to, you know, it, the, when I said the edge cases, it had to be R and D, it could be applications yeah. as well. But if, if it's known that you can, you can use this product for this application and then somebody comes in with a new application where it's not, it's not, in, you know, just obvious that it sits smack dab in the middle of the, of the comfort zone. Um, yeah. I'm guessing um, that's where you get called in. Cause otherwise everybody else knows that, the application will work. Why, why call in Carmen? Yeah, exactly. And some of this, part of the reason I went to Israel um, was I was visiting both established customers and some new players too. So for those listeners that don't know, uh, I focus on buck regulators typically in my day-to-day. And specifically, I do a lot of multi-phase buck regulators, which is parallel you know, buck power stages, uh, all controlled by one controller. So you can fire them off sequentially and you know, get better transient response, higher current capabilities. I I could go on and give you my whole hour lecture if we really wanted to, but nobody wants that. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But there's there's some areas where multi-phase power as, you know, computing power grows is just now becoming like an issue. So they're, the customers themselves are on their edge cases and to them, they're pushing into very new areas. Whereas for me, it's yeah, quote unquote easy, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, it's got its own problems that make it interesting, but it's almost like a day to day design for me. Whereas to them, it's this whole new world and trying to convince them of the benefits we can offer and what they'll gain from moving to this new technology. And it's it's a its own interesting problem to sell mm-hmm. and deal with. Uh, and then you know they need more handholding as opposed to say you know like. Intel or whatever, who's been doing power, you know, goes hand in hand with their new processors and they have guys that are well steeped in, you know, best practices. Right. Um, these guys have done simple switchers and integrated FET parts, but now they need more current or something they don't offer. And it's a, yeah, it's a whole new world. Yeah. And so Adam, what about you? Do you, uh, are you, are you constantly having to deal with the, uh, the edge cases or does everything sort of come right down the middle of the pike? Did you ever put a loop-de-loop at the end of the road, like a roller coaster? <laughs> like, is that an edge case you might have to deal with? That's a bit extreme. Uh, I think we'll avoid the loop-de-loops. But, no, that's uh, the lame. You know, I'm never coming to your state to drive. They're, they're really hard to plow. 
<laughs> That's true. So, but, the, but you don't need to plow the top half, just the bottom half, because the snow isn't going to stick on the top of the loop. But you got to get the plow. Well, actually, it's surprising what frost and things will stick to. But you got to get the plow over the loop to loop, and they just they generally can't maintain enough speed to get to stick to the top, so they fall down, and it's just a whole mess. Then and. Mm-hmm. See, if they kept their blade up when they went down the hill, then they can just coast. And if they put the blade down at the right moment, as they go through the loop-to-loop, they'll plow the top part. And then you can send them down again to plow the rest of it. But but they've got to have plowed it well enough that they can get that speed. No, they skid out of control. That's how they build the speed. You leave the ice there. It's your friend and your foe. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. I think we'll avoid the loop-to-loops. That's bullshit. <laughs> Get the numbers to my desk tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the way things work, at least in 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 my office, and um, unfortunately, I believe this is a degrading um, concept in my industry, and I've heard several people kind of express this concern, but, you know, the edge cases are what the engineers are for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we're still a at least in much of public practice or, or of the the government sector, we have mm-hmm. a lot of technicians and they're great and experienced and capable and are great at handling everything down the middle of the road. Uh-huh. 95%. And that's the 5% is why we have the, the engineers there that can identify when it's an edge case. Cause it doesn't always look like it. Um, and, deal with those edge cases from a more theoretical perspective that, um, you know, that, that four years or more of, of engineering education, the theory, uh, equips them to think about that someone who's been doing it for 30 years may not completely grasp the why of something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They know this works and, and we do this all the time, but what's different about this? Why is this an edge case or it isn't? And then what do we need to do differently? Because it is an edge case. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, we all get a little uh, experience dealing with the edge case, and that's not bad. Um, so let me let me throw in uh, perhaps a last topic for uh, for this episode, and that I is think we've rambled on long enough. We can start bringing it to a close. Yeah. So we had kind of talked about the fact that that uh, we'd had busy summers and we we're getting into the fall, and one of the things that kind of surprised me in engineering was that there was actually a seasonality. You know, you expect certain jobs, you know, if you maintain golf courses or something, you expect it to be seasonal. Uh, or if you're, you're in the, uh, the Christmas tree business, you expect that to be seasonal, something like that. But, uh, I found that there, there was definitely a seasonality to, uh, engineering positions as well. And so I'm, I'm wondering is, as you sort of roll into the fall here, uh, whether the things that you are planning to get done that you have to get done because of the season. And so I'll go f- first and, and just say, well, as we're here roughly mid semester, uh, and so I'm already looking forward to the spring semester. That is, I've got some classes coming up where I want to change the project. So I've got, uh, so we don't do the same project every semester. And so now I've got to start planning on, you know, how are, how are we going to tailor the labs to prepare students to build the project at the end? Uh, what permission do I have to get for the type of projects that I've got in mind? Uh, do I need new lab facilities? Uh, in for one course, a lab course that I've got, I don't have a TA. My TA of the last three years has 
uh, graduated and got his PhD and is now moving on. So I need to find How a dare new. He. I I know that yeah. this kind of, uh, you know, kind of uh, presumptuous on his account. You know, just up and leaving, getting his degree and and moving on. Um, like that's the point yeah. of school. You would think, yeah, yeah. What kind of deal is that? <laughs> I, I thought you didn't get any say on whether he he uh, graduated or not. I had no say. No. Oh. Um, so anyway, those those sort of things come up and have to be uh, dealt with. Um, and and when I was when I was working at the machine shop, you know, it was you had to think about the things that were over the summer. Uh, you know, raw materials kind of wandered outside, so we had to start thinking about getting those raw materials that were in the big, uh, like, 55-gallon drums and stuff. You get those inside, get the outside cleaned up, winterize things, make sure that the, uh, you know, these big buildings, these steel buildings were were insulated, that you're taking care of maintenance before the, the snow came. Um, you know, so, so those sort of things had to be done on a uh, seasonal basis, and that was – at least for me, that was kind of surprising. I didn't think there was a, a season to engineering. Um, so what about you guys? Do you have seasonal things you're, you're starting to think about as, as we approach the end of 2017? Well, Adam's got to use all that money. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- there's a degree of that. And um, my schedule, because I design construction projects, is based on construction schedule. In the, um, in the spring and the fall, I get rather busy with construction issues. Mm-hmm. Um, the spring is projects kick off. And this would probably be less if I weren't in a snow belt state where, you know, we have a definitive. Cons- th- there's kind of the joke that we have two seasons, um, you know, winter and road construction. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but it, it kind of is sort of true, you know. So we, we get road construction season starting off and there's stuff that's got to be done at the beginning and, and stuff that's going to be done at the end. Cause things like signs are some of the last things you do on a project mm-hmm. after, you know, the road looks nice. Now you got to put the paint on and you got to put the signs up. Right. Um, which is, you know, where I get called. Um, and then in addition to that, we've got to get projects bid for the next year out to the contractors. We have to have them ready, you know, and there's a whole process you got to go through and, the contractors want to bid on projects during the winter. So we've got to, you know, coming into the winter, we've got to be designing so that the projects are ready to let during that, that winter season so they can bid it so they can be ready to build it the next season. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's absolutely a seasonality. Um, I can outright and have outright graft the number of hours I need between myself and my staff to get work done by the month. Mm-hmm. And I can see the peaks. And, and when are those peaks? Um, August, September, October, November, December. Okay. It's kind of a big peak. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I, you know, one of the things that, at the machine shop was that the, uh, all the budgets were being decided at the end of the year. So I, you know, even though people would be on a, a, you know, not always a calendar year, their fiscal year wouldn't wouldn't always match up with the calendar year. For whatever reason, it seemed like most of the budgets were established at the beginning of the year. So uh, we would get no orders in January because everybody was deciding, you know, who got who got how much money, mm-hmm. and that would that the that internal fighting wouldn't be decided until say March, and then the the customers would decide, you know, kind of what they wanted, and they'd get a hold of us in April, and they'd start putting out bid packages in April and May. And so by about 
June, they were ready to place the orders. And then it was like, well, go, 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 go. We need you to go as, as quickly as you can. And then, so you'd start in on all, all that and you'd get to Thanksgiving and people would go, well, hey, we've got a little more money in the budget than we thought. And we need to add, we want to add this on and we need you to bill us in this year. So you have to get it done or at least, you know, close enough to get it done that you can, you can, uh, you can attach it to this year's budget. And so, you know, then we, it was just crazy, right? Or, or about the time you wanted to take a little time off for Thanksgiving, you wanted to take a little time off for Christmas. We were just going like mad trying to get stuff shoved out the door. Uh, and then when you, we hit, you know, January 1st, or actually we usually we were busy shipping stuff up through the first or second week of January. And then now that we, you know, it's cold outside, we'd like to be working inside. We don't mind working the long evenings uh, because it's miserable. Uh, there was no business, right? So <laughs> the mm-hmm. entire the entire period where, you know, between June and, you know, Thanksgiving, when we, the weather was nice and we wanted to be outside, we were just going like crazy. Uh, and during the period, during the winter, when we, we would much rather be working long overtime hours, there's no business to be had. So I don't know, just, just one of the, uh, the hazards of that particular business, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, I can uh, see what you're saying. And, and I've got the disadvantage of, well, two fiscal years, federal fiscal years, uh, or two, yeah, no, one's federal, one state. So two mm-hmm. fiscal years, uh, that, are, that don't align. That no, no, because one one starts in October, the other starts in uh, July. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and then there's the there's certain things that are calendar year based too, for whatever reason. So, <laughs> um, I I never thought I was going to have to keep track of what year it is in three different formats of a year. <laughs> <laughs> but but you have to deal with the federal federal fiscal year, state fiscal year, and calendar year. Yes, yes. Um, and the, there are, are spikes with those. Oh, well, we're coming up in the end of the federal fiscal year. We got to hurry up and do this stuff. Yeah. Oh, end of the state fiscal year. We got to hurry up and do this. Right. Um, I, I hear exactly what you're saying. <laughs> and I won't even get into bienniums. Oh, man. <laughs> it's a whole nother beast. Government accounting stuff. So what about you, Carmen? Are you free from the seasonality? Uh, there's a little bit of seasonality, you know, just people want to wrap up certain aspects of the design before the holidays hit so they can take their own time off. So there's a bit of a rush, but no, the, the, everything's just kind of average throughout the year. I'm not tied into, you know, one specific area of dealing with like Intel processors anymore. So, because I'm working on a variety of different vendors and a few different product lines now, there's all sorts of different ramps where everything just kind of averages out. Mm -hmm. But the typical holiday stuff where eh, no one wants to start a new design. They'd rather get everything to a point where they can go, I'm all set. I'll see this in 2018. So right. There's pushes for that sort of thing, but nothing crazy. Okay. So any, any, you know, if, if not driven by the business, any professional goals here that you're, you're pushing to get wrapped up in, in 2017 or, or you want to get accomplished before next spring? Nothing too crazy. No, just get my work done. <laughs> okay. That's from that, that paycheck. That that sounds fairly safe. Hey, anything, uh, anything for you, Adam? Mm, not that I can think of. Okay. Right. Well, I keep, I keep wanting to, uh, 
you know, delve a little deeper, deeper into some, some projects, uh, with, you know, some electronic design projects and some mechanical design projects. And I really miss the, uh, the doing the design work. You know, you, I, I spend all my time explaining to students how to do the equations, but I don't actually get to do any of the design work. So I remember telling a engineering manager once telling me that, that I was lucky because he had gone into engineering management and he never got to do the fun stuff anymore. Right. He never got to do the design. And uh, at least I was young enough in my career then that that's all I did. Um, and I, there's a certain truth to that is that, uh, as you move up the ladder and if you, if you move up, certainly if you move up in the management track, you don't get to do that anymore. If that's what you really love, uh, you start to miss that. You don't, you just don't get an opportunity to sit down and, and think through a design and, and, uh, spend the time is, you know, yes, if you're a manager, you get this, you know, weigh in and, and say, yes, I like it or I don't like it, that sort of thing. But the time, you know, that you spend pondering the possibilities and, and running the simulations or, or uh, spinning the CAD model around and thinking, yeah, what if I did that that way? You, you don't get a chance to do that anymore. So, uh, I kind of miss that, but I, I can't seem to come up with the time to, to make that happen. So I suppose, suppose if there's anything I want to get done over the, uh, uh, the remaining months of, of this year and maybe through the winter of next year is to, you know, dig out some time to do some of that. I'd, I'd really like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's always good to get back and get your hands dirty. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Well, we've sort of, uh, covered some of the things that we've been doing over the summer and our plans for the new year. Anything, uh, anything else you think we should discuss before we wrap up this episode? Not a whole discussion, but I'd be uh, sad if I didn't mention uh, a former guest, Alicia White, was kind enough to have me on her podcast, Embedded.fm. So if you want to check that out, we'll throw a link into the show notes. It's episode 216, Bavarian Folk Metal. And uh, yeah, her and Chris interview me. It was a lot of fun. Fantastic. Bavarian Folk Metal? Yeah, it's explained in the episode. <laughs> okay, well, I'll, I'll have to go listen. To <laughs> I'm going to leave it as out. a teaser so you can we can boost their download numbers. <laughs> You guys got to get me to the uh, number one, number one download of all time for embedded.fm. Fantastic. Fantastic. I've not, I've not been on any other podcast. What about you, Adam? No, I haven't either. Hmm. Just Carmen. Sorry, I'm so popular. Well, hey, you, you, you are the superstar. <laughs> yeah, we'll see about that. <laughs> all right. Uh, Want to call it an episode? Works for me. All right. Well, thank you for the conversation, and uh, we'll try to get together in the not-too-distant future and uh, put together another episode of The Engineering Commons. Maybe we'll even have some new voices on next time. That'd be nice. All right. Talk to you guys later. All right. Take care. Bye. The Engineering Commons is produced in affiliation with Big Beacon, a social movement for transforming engineering education. For more information about the podcast you've just heard, please visit theengineeringcommons.com. Our musical introduction is by John Trimble and our concluding theme by Paul Stevenson. <laughs>